Welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And we are back recording in person today and not in the evening. Nope. Um, so we're, no. being, we're being responsible. We're not drinking. <laughs> no merry tea pours this time. Um, <laughs> sorry for your loss. Damn it. I was drinking. <laughs> <when you said laughs> that. That's what I do. Uh, so for coffee this episode, we went to Heine Brothers. I know we've mentioned them on the show before. Local coffee shop. They are unionized. Love to see it. I got just a regular Americano with a little bit of heavy cream in it. It's good. Yeah. I got, they have a brownie batter latte and I have a terrible addiction. That sounded really good. I am going to eat so much food tonight i felt like i should probably do this that's fair and valid i i had to and i did get an extra shot of espresso so we'll see how that goes oh cool we're recording two episodes in a row so starting with the extra shot of espresso before next episode should work wonders for people's ability to speed this up if they want to listen to it faster (laughs) Uh uh-oh Mistakes no. will be made. I told you that, right? That uh, someone yes. told me that she was listening to, I forget which episode, and we were talking so fast she thought her daughter had pressed the... Yeah, you mentioned... The other thing speed. I've heard about us is we feed off of one another's accents. Yes. Uh, my friend Avery, who lives up outside of Boston, but is originally from California, so recognizes that I have a perhaps heavier Southern accent than I think I have. Right. We'll be like, so, Rin, I was listening to your episode, and you and Amanda get more and more Southern as the episode goes on. I mean, that sounds accurate. Yeah. Uh, It, one day, we need to record an episode after I've spent time with my mom's side of the family. And uh, then you guys will really hear what Southern is from me. Yep. Uh, same with me and my dad's family. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun. Uh, so what is our card? Uh, so I am drawing from the Wild Unknown Tarot. Amanda saw my amazing randomization skills today. Just absolutely wonderful. Uh, giving the cards the respect they deserve. 10 out of 10 no notes. <laughs> listen, listen. It's been... It's been a wild ass couple of weeks. I think I'm allowed to be disrespectful of the cards today. <laughs> oh, well, let's see what they told us before we say whether or not they appreciated that. So today's card is the lovers. Oh. It's got gooses. It's got it's got the cobra chickens. It does. Oh my gosh. I am currently listening to a book written by a cult survivor. And she was talking about growing up, they had guard geese. <laughs> Amazing. But yes, this is all about building a, a strong foundation with someone, mm-hmm. which that's, I think, I think that's similar to like what we do. 
but it's also about joy. And um, this episode specifically is one that I've been looking forward to doing, and researching sparked a lot of joy in unexpected ways. Yay! All right, so speaking of this week's episode, we are covering what I think is Corinne's most anticipated episode topic we have ever covered, and we are talking about tree folklore. This Uh, is second only to Selkies, but we already did Selkies, so... So, I have already covered a bit of local tree folklore back in episode 14, Cursed Nature, when I covered the Louisville Witch's Tree. So, definitely check that out, uh, because that is one of my favorite, I think, I think that is my favorite local story. That was a really good one. Of all time. I just love it, and I have failed you all with my research for this episode and it's just not that creepy so go back and listen to episode 14 as well hear about a cursed tree it is very cursed it's great for this episode though i figured i could go with something uniquely american okay uh johnny appleseed oh okay Mm mm-hmm i was wondering what you were gonna do when you said that you'd gone down an apple rabbit hole yes Uh, And and the apple rabbit hole will come in at the end uh, because I go on a tangent. Oh, dear. Okay. Uh, But Johnny Appleseed. So in 1845, Harper's Monthly. Oh, gosh, I am a terrible fake academic. My (laughs) sources for this research are the Wikipedia article about Johnny Appleseed, a daily JSTOR article called The Real Story Behind Johnny Appleseed, an NPR article called Johnny Appleseed Planted Stories of Myth, and the Wikipedia article about apple symbolism, and we will get to that. Okay. Um, So back to what I was saying. Yes. In 1845, Harper's Monthly published an article by W.D. Haley describing Johnny Appleseed a gentleman in humble clothing who embodied, quote, values of piety, frugality, and charity, or the values of piety, frugality, and charity championed by the Grange. Um, The Grange being the National Grange of the Order of Patrons of Husbandry, which was an agricultural advocacy group that sprung up after the Civil War. Um, And not agricultural advocacy in that People in agricultural states have had their economic, you know. Is this cottagecore? It is. This, oh my god, it's it's post-Civil it War cottagecore. It is post-Civil War cottagecore. Uh, the members were made up of a lot of people who had participated in the abolition movement. Okay. Um, and it, it really was people being like, we should be good stewards of the earth and make sure that more rural and agriculture-focused areas of the country have their economic needs met. So, there you go. Doesn't really have anything to do with Johnny Appleseed, but I felt like it was a fun bit of history. Yes. Uh, So, in this story, published in Harper's Monthly, an itinerant missionary was giving a pretty brutal sermon about extravagance and excess to the pioneers in the area, who the missionary decided were indulging too much in super fancy things like tea. Yes, I can see where pioneers are very (laughs) indulgent. And nice fabric. Oh, how dare. 
That thread count. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Tisk, tisk. I say indeed. as a Taurus with, like, <laughs> <laughs> major thread count envy all the time. Uh, so the preacher kept repeating the question, quote, where now is there a man who, like the primitive Christians, is traveling to heaven barefooted and clad in coarse raiment? I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you should laugh. Um, and he kept repeating that phrase over and over and over until Johnny Appleseed, who was just over it good for him at that point, walked over to the stump that the preacher was using as a pulpit, whipped out his bare foot and said, here's your primitive Christian. I love him. And uh, this left the preacher so flummoxed that he finally shut up and left. Well. Um, so building on this and kind of cementing Johnny Appleseed as a gentle anti-Daniel Boone. Okay. You know, he he was known to be super kind and concerned about nature and concerned about animals and their well-being and in language that we now know is offensive uh-huh um was the Johnny Appleseed stories have him being very pro native populations okay um so cementing that was an 1881 poem by Lydia Marie Child, which I'm sure as soon as I say a couple of lines, you're going to know, Corinne, because I feel like we all heard That's, this poem going I, up. I feel like you're putting a lot of pressure on me to remember things. <laughs> I'm sorry. I started reading it when I was doing this research and I was like, oh no, was I like in first grade, second grade, something like that when I heard this? But the poem is called Appleseed John. And in part, it goes, with pointed cane holes deep he would bore, and in every hole he placed a core, then covered them well and left them there, in keeping of sunshine, rain, and air. Fuck, I do know that. Told you. Why do I know that? I don't remember ever learning it. It's, we all learned about Johnny Appleseed somewhere. I have, I don't, (laughs) what? Like, I, I have vague recollections at the back of my brain of reciting that poem in like a classroom setting and it was in public school so I know it wasn't second or third grade or sixth grade through high school so it was one of the other grades but I could not tell you any more than that I got nothing um so these stories eventually led to Johnny Appleseed as this larger-than-life mythical figure responsible for nearly all the apple trees in Pennsylvania and Ohio. Okay. But where did this myth of the gentleman wandering barefoot across the United States leaving apple trees in his place come from? Where? Where? Tell me, Amanda. Well, let's rewind back to September 26, 1774. Okay. When a man named John Chapman was born in Massachusetts. Okay. In 1792, he convinces his brother to move to Ohio with him. And when he's there, he starts an apprenticeship on an apple orchard. In an apple orchard with an apple orchard. I don't, hell, I, I don't know how words work, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what the grammatically correct... Correct? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Amanda. Correct. Uh, I, I, I've lost the train of that, so, <laughs> so we're going to move on. Um. So from Ohio, we then have contemporary stories of him planting in Pennsylvania in the late 1790s. Okay. Now, 
The stories, as the poem I read suggests, imply that he just dropped apple cores and holes in the ground, preached some gospel, and bounced. Okay, I'm, I'm getting very, like, budget St. Francis vibes here. Actually, <laughs> fun fact, he was referred to as the agricultural St. Francis by some of his contemporaries. Okay, I love that. Um, which I didn't actually write down in my notes, but I saw in my research yeah. as I was doing it. Um, but not so. So he absolutely planted apples. Okay. That's not false. But he planted them like someone who knows how plants work. What? Yeah. Someone with an apprenticeship in an agricultural industry knew what he was doing? I mean... I'm shocked. I have met people who are several years into a career, and I am shocked that someone actually (laughs) picked something up from their apprenticeship. Oof. Uh, But he planted nurseries. Okay. Made sure they were safely fenced in to keep them safe from livestock and wildlife. Sounds fake. And put them under someone's care before moving on to his next location. That, yes, that does in fact make sense. Because that's how successful agriculture works. Sounds fake. Or, I don't know, maybe it's not. I've killed damn near every plant I've ever tried to grow, so like... Uh, You know why we call the rubber tree Lazarus. (laughs) That's true. Um, So throughout his life, he ended up planting apples in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Indiana, West Virginia... Illinois, and what is now Ontario. He just fucking skipped Kentucky? Like, we did a wide swath around the state? Uh, To be fair, Corinne, you've been here. Would you have come here? Yes, we are a pretty state. Thank you. We are a pretty state. West Virginia is also a pretty state. Yeah, but I like to drag them because I've got family there. That's that's fair. We also know Jimmy there. (laughs) We do! (laughs) Now... Planting trees wasn't Chapman's only passion. Okay. He was also a very devout believer in the Church of New Jerusalem, which was a religion based on the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg. That's a great name. Isn't it? So Mr. Swedenborg believed that angels were appearing to him directly and whispering divine secrets to him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and among these secrets were... The end times, as most of Christianity considers it, is never going to happen. Okay. But there are many endings over the course of humanity. All right. Okay. So, like, I don't hate it. Um, I also, you know, appreciate the idea that you should be kind to everybody and work to make the world a better place and not focus on yourself and your selfish desires. So, like, I don't hate all of Mr. Swedenberg's teachings. That's fair. That's Um, fair. He is considered a big influence on Joseph Smith. Ah, yes. So I, I haven't done that much research into the Church of New Jerusalem. I have a feeling that if I, you know, lift up that rock, I'm going to find some things I don't particularly like. Probably, yeah, based on what I know about a lot of those movements from that time period. Yes. Um, And for whatever reason, Chapman heard that and said, yep, that's it. Sounds good. That's what makes the world make sense. And everywhere that he went, he spread as much religion as he did apples. That's a sentence, Amanda. (laughs) You're welcome. 
and I made it myself. <laughs> and true to the stories, he did dress in pauper's clothes. He he would wear, you know. Sorry, I just choked on my coffee. Please don't. You have to edit this episode. I know. Uh, he wore, you know, coarse fabric. He did walk around barefoot, including through the Pennsylvania mountains in the winter. Ow. And yet, when he died, he had all ten toes? I don't know. I mean, maybe he was St. Francis of Appalachia. I don't the hell know. Maybe. Uh, but he was actually a pretty wealthy landowner. Uh, the figure that I saw was that at one point he owned 1,200 acres across the U.S. Holy shit. So, like, you don't need to walk barefoot in the snow and sleep outside in the woods all the time, sir. Well, Amanda, that's how he saves all his money. He's one of those crazy rich folks. Oh, my God. Sorry. Put your money back into the economy. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Sorry. I could get much more political, and I won't this episode. Probably will in the future. Definitely will in the future. So, according to Howard Means, author of the book Johnny Appleseed, The Man, the Myth, and the American Story, Mm -hmm. uh, which was referenced in that NPR article, Chapman at some point started telling tall tales about himself on his travels. Okay. So he really set the stage for his own mythos. That is such a white man thing to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. So, you know, we don't really know that he walked barefoot in the snow uphill both ways. (laughs) Damn it, Amanda. (laughs) But he definitely said he did. Mm -hmm. Just like he said that he slept outside nearly every night for 50 years straight. That just hurts my spine to think about. Right? Sir, I've been in forests around here. There are acorns and twigs. I I don't, I don't, I'm an indoor cat. <laughs> I don't go camping. Um, so that's Johnny Appleseed. And it's not an Amanda segment without a bit of a side tangent. Uh-huh. So while I was researching everything that I've just discussed, I found a link on the Johnny Appleseed Wikipedia page about apple symbolism in folklore. Okay. And I really hope you love this as much as I do, because it just made me so happy. Okay. So we know that apples show up in various religious and cultural traditions, often as a mystical or forbidden fruit. Yes. Uh, So what makes that interesting is that as late as the 17th century, the word apple was used to refer to all foreign fruits other than berries. Interesting. And that includes nuts. So all fruits other than berries. That's why you have the French for potato being the earth apple. Um, When tomatoes first made it to Europe, they were referred to as love apples. Um, There's an old English work that refers to cucumbers as earth apples. (laughs) And oranges are often translated as golden apples. That puts some interesting spins on classical mythology. Doesn't it? Yeah. Huh. Let those wheels turn. This happened to me. Oh, and I'm going to I'm gonna build on that a little bit mm-hmm. with mine when we get to the batshit tangent that I went on. Perfect. Now, my favorite theory about apples as a mystical fruit or the fruit of forbidden knowledge, mm-hmm. perhaps, 
is one posited by some ethnobotanical and ethnomycological scholars. Okay. Um, which, how do I get to be an ethnomycological scholar? Because that is everything. I know. I have so many resources to send you when we're done recording with this episode. Yes. Uh, so, again, my favorite is that the apple was used in its catch-all okay. form to represent the fly agaric mushroom. So you think apples as... Yes. Patrick, sweet baby boy, I will feed you as soon as we're done recording this episode. You must be patient. Patrick wants some kitty cat drugs. He wants the mushrooms. He does not get those mushrooms. He's too whittle. I'm aware. He's too whittle. Um, But when you think about apples as the keeper of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Okay. The key to mystical realms. I'm picking up what you're putting down here. Ways to see beyond the kin of man. That makes perfect sense in the context of what people even today see as the spiritual side of psychedelic mushrooms. Okay, I, I'm i here for this. I'm here for this. Love this. Um, and then also, I just had like a quick disclaimer that I wanted to throw in. Um, you know, we always think our research, we are uh, what I'm referring to as folklore junk food. Yes. So if you want, like, uh, deeper dives with people who don't sit there and go, wait, what? <laughs> Every time they research a new topic. What? Us? And why would you want that? No. Anywho. Um, but especially for the tree side of folklore, I see Sedgwick. Um, I link to several pages on Sedgwick's site. Perfect. Um, again, I just wanted to throw that out there. If you guys, you know, have a hankering for more tree lore. That makes this, more sense than what we do. That's where I'd go. Um, but yeah, that is my segment. But that's when I was like, Corinne, what sort of rabbit hole have you gone down? <laughs> <laughs> Mine is a very different oh, rabbit hole. Mine is um, a very different rabbit hole. Um, so I had a very specific goal in mind with this episode. Um, I am, as you are probably aware, I know Amanda is, I'm an avid reader of fantasy, especially no. urban fantasy, right? Shocker. You? Me. Who knew? So I really wanted to understand why trees like oak, ash, rowan, and thorn which, by the way, is Hawthorne. I did know that. I did not. I am nearly 35. <laughs> and I just, I was, and I don't want to tell you what I assumed it was. And I'm not going to. Maybe uh, You will after we. Maybe when I turn the recording <laughs> off. Because I will know. But no one else gets to know how stupid I am. Okay. Uh, so I wanted to know why they're so frequently invoked and referenced. And to an extent, that is, in fact, what I did. Mostly. But then I got distracted by something even shinier. Ooh. So, quick rundown of these four trees and why they're important in Western European folklore, especially lore from the British Isles. And uh, as I mentioned, most of my resources here are from I.C. Sedgwick's pages, uh, also treesforlife.org in the UK, uh, Folklore Thursday. Um, I did find an online copy of The Golden Bough, which I will be referencing a little bit. Okay. And um, something else. Other pages. Yay. There, there's links. I know. Okay. I can read words. I'm super smart. Okay, so first off, we've got the ash tree. Uh, ash was really popular for weaponry. 
So I kind of feel like that alone qualifies it for being a tree that people would place a lot of importance on. Oh, definitely. Uh, But it does, in fact, go beyond that. So first off, Yggdrasil, the world tree from Norse mythology, was frequently believed to be an ash tree. Interesting. They're very tall trees, um, and it was believed that their roots went as deep as their branches went high. Oh. Uh, So that's also the tree from which Odin hung himself to gain knowledge, and also what the spear with which he impaled himself was made. Uh, Our man Odin was nothing if not thorough. (laughs) You know. Uh, And in general, ash trees are seen as very protective. They're used for healing and prophecy and to avoid being bespelled. Okay. Uh, Folklore Thursday also reports that ash wood protects against the fair folk. Uh, And again, based on what I read, I do think so much of this is related to the fact that it is a very strong and flexible wood. Uh, and it's commonly used for weaponry, as well as for things like staves and for butter churns. And apparently, if you had a butter churn made from an ash stave, it kept witches from being able to dispel your butter. All right, that is good to know. Mm-hmm. So if you were going to make your own butter and actually churn it yourself and not just put it in the KitchenAid like I do, <laughs> maybe I need to get like little little ash decorations for my... <laughs> My KitchenAid. Yeah. Just just like a little a little like buy like a new ornament. Or get like a little like a little mixy boy. What are those called? I have no idea what you're trying to tell me. I don't know either. What like one of the little attachments? That's the bitch. Or dough hook or whatever you use. Yeah. Or a paddle, I think is what you use. I just get a paddle made out of ashwood. I What could go wrong? Nothing. This is gonna be great. Go on, Etsy, right now. Has anyone thought to do this? Help me. All right, so that's Ash. Uh, Oaks. Oaks are kind of like the biggie boys of folklore in Western Europe. They are symbols of Zeus and Jupiter. Oh, Um, yeah. In Norse mythology, they are sacred to Thor. Uh, It's also sacred to the Slavic god Perun, who is also a deity of storms. Interesting. Again, they are just really fuck-all big trees. They are, thanks to some linguistic quirks, as well as due to the works of early scholars like Sir James Fraser's The Golden Bough, oaks were also believed to play an extremely important role in Druidic religions. The word, the scientific word for oak is similar to the root from which we get druid. Oh, interesting. For example. Um, and also, thanks to I.C. Sedgwick's write-up on oaks, I learned that some scholars believe that oak trees, not ash trees, were the original Yggdrasil. And others believe it was Rowan. Huh. Which does lead us to the Rowan. Uh, these are another tree believed to help ward off the fair folk. Which is actually something I recalled reading a lot more in fantasy as a child. Uh, Amanda, do you remember the book The Moor Child by Eloise McGrath? No, but I was very high fantasy oriented. More so than urban fantasy. So More Child was, I would call it more low fantasy because it was in a very medieval setting. Mm-hmm. But the main character was actually a changeling. And it's all very allegorical about, you know, treating people who are different kindly. And mm-hmm. for a very long time, it's one of those books that I thought I had hallucinated. But like, there's a scene where the the main girl is being bullied by the other village kids because she's different. And they're, like, throwing rowan berries at her and shit. Rude. Yeah. 
Uh, Rowan is also very common for divination. Uh, its wood is more popular for runes than ash, though both are frequently used. Uh, and according to some sources, you can use a Rowan rod to identify a witch. How? So if you were baptized, you have to be a baptized person. Okay. And you are holding a Rowan wad and you poke a witch. Either she will have to proclaim that she is a witch, or in some stories, the devil, like, comes and takes her away. Okay. So that's the the off switch, I guess, <laughs> for that pact. Apparently. Uh, and in my personal opinion, Rowans are officially badass for two reasons. One, they have a sworn enemy. Enemy. Words are hard. The Jupiter tree. Or jun- juniper. God damn it. I can words. The juniper tree. What did juniper ever do to them? Juniper is important. I like gin. Me too. Uh, also, this offhand mention of junipers and rowans being mortal enemies is what led me to the rabbit hole that we will be going down. Ooh, okay. And bless my husband for listening to me rant about it over dinner. Amazing. Last but not least, we have the Hawthorne. Uh, and again, I really hate admitting how at nearly 35, just now realizing all the mentions of Thorn was the freaking Hawthorne. <laughs> I'm so smart. Uh, due to when it typically flowers, it is often associated with May Day, uh, though thanks to some calendar changes in the late 18th century, I think, uh, it doesn't really blossom at May Day anymore. I think that was when they realized, like, oh, we haven't been accounting for leap days. Right. And there's, like, an entire week of one year that just doesn't fucking exist. Which is wild to me. (laughs) Time. Who knew? (laughs) It's all made up. Uh, So uh, they are also associated with more liminal spaces, which I thought was kind of interesting. um, Both with death and with portals to other realms. Uh, The reason they're associated with death is because of the smell of their blossoms. And apparently, like, this makes sense. The One of the scent compounds that the flowers make is the same scent compound, or one of the same scent compounds that is made when a corpse starts rotting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that, that very sickly rotting scent. Um, and then, again, it's also just like, you see a hawthorn tree that's typically considered like, oh, there's a, a pathway into the fairy realm there. I mean, convenient signposts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but between its associated, association with liminal places and the fa- fact that it has fuck all big thorns, mm-hmm. uh, very popular as a sign of protection as well. Uh, you might keep it at the door to your home or uh, just making hedgerows to keep your cattle where they're supposed to be. Smart. Right? Cows aren't that stupid. They'll see the thorns and go, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. So um, that's the big four. There's a lot of other tree lore throughout Europe, and I did not even touch the rest of the world. This episode, next episode, very Eurocentric. Sorry, but it made my life a little bit easier. Um, Anyway, I got really distracted. You know, I I mentioned that uh, Rowan has beef with Juniper. So I started researching that. And it was because this whole beef started in what's called the Cadgado or the Battle of the Trees, which is a mythic battle that is detailed in the Book of Taliesin, which is a Welsh manuscript dating back to the 14th century. 
I have heard of this. I don't know that I've heard of the Battle of the Trees. I hadn't either. So uh, apparently it is absolutely beastly to translate. Uh, just, it's very linguistically vague. Mm. Middle Welsh. Um, so theories abound. And I actually had to rely largely on the Wikipedia page because my Google foo completely failed me on this one. Um, I also noticed this reference like two days before we were, <laughs> we were going to record. Uh, anyway, uh, there was one article that I really, really wanted to read. It's called The Battle of the Trees, Arthur, the Prophecy of Virgil, and the Aeneid by Trudy Last. Uh, I thought I'd found a link to the article, but it was actually to a different article by Trudy Last. One that I think you will be very interested in on um, poetry as evidence of early witchcraft in the Americas. I need this. I will absolutely send it to you. Please. Yeah, I will absolutely send that to you. Um, And further Googling revealed that I think it might actually be an entire book, which is why I couldn't find the PDF for free. Very possible. And now I extra need this. Yeah. Uh, As you talk, I'm going to go on Libby and see. Good luck. Uh, So, yeah. Some scholars connect the Cadgado to Arthurian legend, which, uh, if you'll recall, a lot of the earliest Arthurian legend is Welsh. Correct. Some actually connect it to stories of the Great Flood. Um, Some think it is a spoof on bardic traditions. In fact, the article that I wanted to read by Trudy Last says that it theorizes that it's actually a send up of the Aeneid and like taking the piss out of it. Oh, okay. And putting it into what would have been the vernacular at the time. I love that people are just people throughout history. I know. And we all take things, even things we love, and just roast the shit out of them. I know. And what's great is you really can just put all of this meaning on it because again it is apparently a bear to translate amazing uh but honestly one of the reasons that the whole battle of the trees caught my eye in the first place like even before we get into like welsh mythology and medieval welsh folklore and you know all those things that i want to get degrees in um there was in a book that i read as a child it was a very important book to me uh the author references a battle of the trees while the main character is actually talking to her own tree. This is uh, Diane Duane's So You Want to Be a Wizard. Yes. Okay, no, I do remember this reference because you, I'm pretty sure, said our friendship hinges on you liking this book and handed that book to me. Pretty much. (laughs) If you want to understand who I am as a person, read So You Want to Be a Wizard. Because that informed so much of my morals and how I approach learning and how I approach trying to do good. And I just, I love those books. There's a whole series of them. You should definitely read them. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put in a plug for Diane Duane. She also wrote a lot of Star Trek novelizations. Yes. And um, a lot of TV that we all grew up with. Anyway. Anyway. So, final fact. About the Battle of the Trees. You know, um, you know in Star Wars Episode One, Duel of the Fates, big epic music. Yes. So that score, that the choir is actually singing verses from the Battle of the Trees that have been translated into Sanskrit. 
Oh. So I knew growing up, because I, I did that thing where I would get uber obsessed with something and have to learn every fucking thing about it. Much like we do now. <laughs> yeah, this podcast. <laughs> Much like we do now. Welcome. So I knew growing up that the lyrics from that were Sanskrit and that it was a translation of some medieval Welsh poem. Couldn't have told you what. But apparently it is, in fact, from the Cadgado. Translated in the Sanskrit, sung dramatically by a choir, and is possibly one of his best known pieces from Star Wars. Oh I really want to know. This. I really want to know what verses, and I, I should probably see about reading a translation, even though I know it'll be a difficult one to read, just because again translation issues. Uh, and this is where I do get to lovingly drag my husband, because I'm telling him this as we are eating dinner. God love him. And for the last twenty plus years. He just assumed that they were singing nonsense syllables. Like, he did not know that that was Sanskrit. He did not know that there was meaning behind the lyrics at all. He just... Admittedly, Corinne. I'm allowed to drag my husband. You are allowed to drag your husband. Um, I didn't know it was Sanskrit. I figured there was meaning behind it. I knew it wasn't English. Yep. And that's about where I ended. I'm just, again, he was like, I just thought they were singing nonsense syllables, bitch. <laughs> so that is, that's, that's where my uh, research tails off. And Amazing. Yeah. I, I went to some unexpected places. I, I feel like I better understand why these trees are invoked in so much fantasy. Yeah, it. Definitely makes certain series that I've read over time, there there are things, like, sliding into place. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, I know it, obviously, you and I are both going to heavily reference Sean and McGuire's works. Right. So, you know, they're always swearing by Oak and Ash. Motherfucking Thorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a really good phrase right there. But, like, even going back to some of the earliest contemporary urban fantasy with Emma Bull. It's a war for the oaks. Right. So I'm like, okay, all right. I'm like, I'm putting things into place. <laughs> I'm, I'm connecting the dots. Again. Folklore junk food, if you will. Yes. Which I am happy to fill that niche. Not all of us can have PhDs. Some of us just have access to the internet and too much coffee and no coping skills. Fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I did learn uh, completely, not completely unrelated, sort of unrelated. Yes. Sorry, thinking about my notes for next episode. It's fine. Um, that the library branch by my house has a phenomenal folklore section. Ooh. Like, it's not a big branch of the library. Yeah, I, I know which one you go to. There are like two full aisles of folklore literature that I... Did we have fun, Amanda? I might have had fun. That's okay. I need to, I need to do more library visits. So now, now that we're talking about libraries, back in the day, I used to have a lot of unsupervised time in the library. And I spent a lot of time in the reference sections. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time reading about like urban legends and folklore like 
Looking back on my childhood, this podcast makes <laughs> sense. It was inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. 12 year old me wouldn't have been like, yeah, I'm going to put my voice out on the radio, um, on the radio, on the internet for people to listen to on purpose. Admittedly, 12 year old me wouldn't have been able to fathom putting my voice out on the internet and radio is what I would have thought. Valid. So <laughs> now I'm like, oh, I could go to the library and I can make copies so I could annotate shit because I'm very into annotating books right now. Oh, yeah. And they had a good selection of more modern looks at analyzing folklore and culture and and looking at things from not such a Eurocentric view. Nice. Um, which I just, you know, I only have so much time in a day to read and That's turns out big. libraries want their books back. So Rude. I can only, you know, check out like one thing at a time and then a million things on Libby. What? <laughs> anyway, consider this our official send up of uh, the little free public library, which I feel like we're contractually obligated to do because of who we are as people. Yeah, I. it's just, it's the best. It's the best. I love my local branch. I love the kids activities they do because it means that I can go there with my son. And then I also get to go and look at things because it turns out I won't do things just for me. Who knew? So... <laughs> Library trips happen because they're for someone else. And if I just happen to go into the folklore aisle and <laughs> gaze longingly. One day we'll have bigger budgets for our, our research. One day. You know, I I think at this point, I acknowledge that I know so little that the resources I currently have are adequate. I think as I learn more and have that knowledge base from which to grab topics mm-hmm. to look at more in depth. I'm basically a goblin and I want <laughs> to have all of the books and I want to scribble in the margins. And I just, I would like to, I, I want is the problem. I want. Fair. Fair. Well, on that note. Uh, homework for people listening go to your local library check out what they got enjoy it and uh yeah i think that's all we have so sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares everyone good night thank you for listening to graveyard coffee talk our theme music is pretty little dead girls by sean and mcguire copyright 2006 and used with permission our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard. Never grew up and she never